We're going to let the middle school kids go. Hey, hey, hey. There they go. We can, I can be taught. The middle school kids can head out this door off to their time together. While they're going, I just want to tell you that the Lord is doing something truly amazing in Grove City with the 16 churches that are coming together. Uh, it's really just hard to s- describe. Thus far, 16 churches from Catholics to Pentecostals are all coming together to serve this community, to reach this community with one voice. One voice. One voice. And it's really, it's really been remarkable. Uh, to come together as a church of combined, we're about 20,000 people, these 16 churches, and just, just to reach out to this community as one church of 20,000. And what I've seen that's been so amazing is the bond of love and unity and esteem between the pastors. I've never seen anything like it really anywhere. That picture up there actually helps tell the story. That picture is Pastor Mike, who's one of the pastors at the First Baptist Church, and he's on the floor with his uh, six-year-old addressing cards to send out to the community. There are a lot of different pictures that I could show you, and I know many of you addressed these cards to send out to the city this week, and there was just something powerful about that. But I thought, man, a picture speaks a thousand words right there, right? That's a picture of what God is doing with us all here in the community. It's exciting, and uh, where this can go, I don't know, because I think, it's, I, th- I think the Lord's up to something a lot more than, than simply the invitation to church on, on Easter Sunday. And here's where you come in. Um, the, the first thing, as I said, uh, that we want to do as a, as a unified church, as Grove City Churches United, is the first thing we want to do is invite everybody in our zip code to church on Easter Sunday. And uh, you say, which church are we going to invite them to? Well, that's the fun part. We don't care which church they go to. We just want to invite them to church, to any church, because this is the amazing thing. This is the amazing thing, is because all of the pastors in this group, no matter where they line up on the stuff outside the center, we all agree 100% that what every person in this city needs is a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That, and just to say that out loud as pastors together has produced this release of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, the Holy Spirit is released not just for the signs and wonders and all those kind of wonderful things, but the Holy Spirit is released to form community. Right? That's what happened in the book of Acts. Formed an amazing community. And that's exactly what we're seeing. There are three things that I need from you. Ask me what they are, I dare you. The first thing is next Sunday night at 7 o'clock, we are going to have a citywide prayer meeting right in this room. And we're going to pray for one hour. It's not going to go on all night. It's going to be one hour. We're going to start at 7 and be done at 8. And we're going to pray for what's going to happen the following four nights. So first, I need you to come to the prayer meeting. Second thing is I need a lot of you to go to one of the canvassing sites on Monday, not this week, following week, Monday Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We'll announce where those sites are going to be. Vineyard is going to be Thursday. Uh, but each, each night, if you're a home group, I'm asking you, please don't meet in your regular home group meetings that night. Whatever night you meet on, would you come canvassing instead? And we'll let you know where to come. You'll come at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock. Yeah, you might have to bust out of work a little bit early. You've got you to get there at 6 o'clock, and we're going to divide folks up into teams and give them a map and a stack of of invitations to church, and off you'll go 
hour, hour and a half later, you'll be all done. And, it, and we really need for you to do that. And then uh, one of the things that I really, really, really need you to do is pray. We're directing them to a website called gcchurches.org that doesn't exist yet. You guys, just seeing the way the Lord has been meeting our need at the last second along the way. We uh, ran into a processing snag with the development. Not that, the, the website's ready. We just need the host, whatever that even means. You're talking to the wrong guy. To, to launch it. It's supposed to launch tomorrow, which is really good. Because on Tuesday, we're putting 25,000 postcards in the mail directing people to that website. I know, Lisa, uh, that face is exactly how my heart feels. Right? Ay, ay. I need somebody to come up here right now and lead us in prayer for this and pray that this website will be on target tomorrow. Who has that faith? Oh, Lisa, how wonderful. <laughs> you can feel what I'm feeling. Thank you. We're wired pretty much the same way. Yeah, too. I'll get to. All right, Brian, you come up. Yeah. Hand off. Hand off. Hand off. Sure. You start. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, for just your mercy and your, and your faithfulness, Lord. We know, Lord, that you are so faithful, Lord. And we know, Lord, that you're going to deliver on having this website be mm -hmm. launched tomorrow, Lord. Yes, and we, Lord. Have, we just put our full faith in you, Lord. Not our abilities, not man's abilities, Lord, but in you, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that... Whatever needs to happen, Lord, that you will work it, work it together for good, Lord, because mm -hmm. these are your people, Lord, that are going to be coming to the website, Lord. They're not our people. They're your people, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that, that this website will be up and running and that yes, everything Lord. will work smoothly in this entire process of bringing yes, all Lord. these churches together, Lord, to lead more people to you. Yes, in Jesus' Lord. name, Lord, we pray. And we thank you, Lord, in advance yeah. for, um, for your faithfulness, Lord. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Somebody else needs to die. Oh, we're done? Oh. <laughs> you can't <top> that. <laughs> thank you. Because I'm done. <laughs> You're both done. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Just let me... All right. As it has been prayed, so shall it also be. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. Anybody here ever done anything reckless? <laughs> reckless? I, I mean, besides getting married. Reckless, illogical, a little dangerous. Anybody? Think about your child. Anybody ever jump off the garage roof with a towel around your neck? Anybody? Who did that? Who did the app? Yep. I'm not, why am I not surprised, you guys who are raising your hands? All right. Did it work? Sure. You went to the ground. Worked perfectly, right? Gravity always works. We do reckless things. They're illogical. They're dangerous. Today I want to tell you about perhaps the most reckless thing ever done by Jesus while he was here. As we continue in this, um, this series, this as-is series, and we're looking at the different ways that, that, um, that Jesus accepted people as they were, as-is, exactly as they are, no implied warranties, I am who I am, I need you to take me as I am with all of my faults, and we keep seeing Jesus moving through the Gospels and receiving people in their as-is condition, beginning with Peter. Peter, 
Peter was not the ideal candidate to be the rock of the church, but Jesus said, perfect, you're just the one I'm looking for. And then we looked at that woman caught in the act of adultery, and she was thrown before Jesus and demanded that she be stoned, and Jesus looked at her and said, where are they that condemn you? And she said, well, no one has condemned me. He said, perfect. Neither do I. I'll take you just the way you are. Last week, we looked at Nathaniel the cynic. Nathaniel, who was so fulfilled with cynicism. It's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he had this profound exchange, encounter with the Lord Jesus, where he was changed through drawing close to him. Cynicism melts in the presence of Jesus. The farther you are away from Jesus, the easier it is to be cynical. The closer you are to Jesus, cynicism melts in the Lord's presence. It's hard to be cynical when he has his arms around you, right? So the answer to cynicism is not the perfect logical answer. The answer to cynicism, draw close to the Lord. Come near and see what happens next. Today we're going to look at still another person that that the Lord accepted in her as-is condition, this Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, go ahead and turn there. Make some music to my ears here. Love to hear those Bible pages turn. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I can't hear that. I cannot hear the thumb swiping across the device. John, Gospel of John. Some of you are saying, oh, there seems to be several books in here. If it has a number in front of it, in front of it, you're in the wrong spot. Head back toward the beginning and get to John, chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That sounds like a problem, right? Because these Pharisees, they just had such a problem with Jesus. Although it was, in fact, Jesus who baptized, but his disciples... When the Lord learned, this is so critical, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. I'm going to give you a little geography lesson here in a minute. Now he had to go through Samaria. Hold on to that. That's the key verse to this whole passage. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Now, you remember, Jacob would have been like centuries before, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That would have been centuries before that this well would have been dug. But all these many centuries, this is Jacob's well. Um, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, it's important to note that the sixth hour in Bible terms, is noon. So the day started roughly at dawn at 6, so in, in, in terms of the activity of the day. And so the sixth hour would have been noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, the significance of that is that Jesus would have ordinarily asked one of his disciples to get him a drink, but they weren't there. They got to Sakar. And they all went to look for food. That's important, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. So that Jesus was, why did they all have to go? Couldn't a couple of them gone and gone through the drive-thru or called Jimmy John's or something? And 
The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, it says. Oh boy, there was so much hostility between Jews and Samaritans. I'll tell you why in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? You see, the hostility between Samaritans and Jews was so deep that they wouldn't even use each other's buckets. And so she said, I have a bucket. Where are you going to get this water? I know you would never use my bucket. They, wouldn't, they would rather die of thirst than drink out of each other's cups. Remember that commercial a long time ago? I don't remember what beverage it was for. Let's say Pepsi and Coke. And the guy's in the desert. And he's, oh, remember this commercial? And he's dragging it he, off. He's so thirsty. And all people my age are going, yeah, I remember that commercial. And he's, he's dragging himself through the desert. And he sees something off in the distance, maybe a mirage, a little hut, a little tent or something. And he goes up to it. And, and there's, a, there's a guy there with an ice-cold Coca-Cola, right? And he crawls up to him and he offers him the ice-cold Coca-Cola. And the guy says, oh, I really had my heart set on a Pepsi. And he just keeps going? That's the way it would have, would have been. Should I do that at the 11 or just leave that one out? Is that all right? Okay. You're the practice service anyway, so. All right. So, so you, don't have, you don't even have anything to draw water with. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Now, get this. The Samaritan woman is saying that their father is also Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Jews claimed that their father was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and yet they had this terrible hostility toward one another. Hold on, I'll tell you why in just a little bit. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water. Man, in that exchange, she said, I want what you are offering me. This Jew is offering this woman living water, this Samaritan woman, in her as-is condition. And she says, I want it. Whatever it is that you're talking about, Jesus, that's what I want. Everyone who drinks the water be thirsty again. I'll give him living water. Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband. Come back. I'll tell you why in a minute. Go call your husband. Come back. And she said, well, actually, I don't have a, a husband. <laughs> and Jesus said, yeah, that is so true. The fact is, you've been married and divorced five times. The man you're now living with isn't your husband. She says, I can see that you're a prophet. You know me. And then she brings up a theological point. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I'll tell you why she said that in a minute. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 
God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, that's me. I who speak to you am me. And she rushes off, tells the people in her village. People in her village come out to check out to see if it's true. And it says in verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. That's amazing. That's amazing. Jesus took this woman in her as-is condition, and this came as a complete surprise to her. And uh, so grateful was she that she told the rest of the people in Sakaar about him with such exuberance that they came. You know, I want you to think about this. There's somebody on the other side of your salvation. You know, your salvation isn't just about you, is it? There was a whole village on the other side of this woman's response to Jesus. It was because she responded, received Jesus, when running into town and talked about it, that the whole there, there's somebody on the other side of your salvation. It's not just about you going to heaven. It's not just about you walking with the Lord in this life. There's somebody on the other side. There's somebody the Lord wants to reach because of your salvation. Jesus crossed so many lines and broke so many rules to have this conversation. He crossed the man-woman line. Let's start with that. Men did not speak much to women they didn't know back in these days, and particularly rabbis. And so here is Jesus, seen by the culture at the time as a rabbi. People were just dawning on them who he actually was as time went on. But, but rabbis would not talk to a, to a strange woman, particularly alone. Men also took uh, special care not to be seen talking to a woman of questionable character. Now, how do we know this woman had questionable character? Well, there's two reasons. One, she was coming to draw water by herself at noon. That's all wrong. Women don't come to the well to draw water by themselves. It's dangerous. And they don't come at noon. They come at break of day. I've woken up in remote villages in India and gone out at the break of day and see women coming to wherever the water source is with pots and filling their water pots and going off. It still happens today because there's safety in numbers, and so women travel together, and they do it at the break of day. They don't wait till the middle to the heat of the day. Why was this woman there then? Why was she by herself there then? Well, because she'd had five husbands and was living with the man, and so she was ostracized by the other women. She was not allowed to travel with them. She was not allowed by society to come to the well at the same time. That's the woman that Jesus said, perfect. You're just the one I was looking for. And Jesus broke the man-woman rule and reached across this divide. He also broke the Jew-Samaritan rule by far the much bigger. The hostilities between Jews and Samaritans could not have been greater. It'd be difficult to overstate it. It would be similar to the Christian-Muslim divide in the Mideast today. It would be similar to the horrific, horrific uh, racial divide in our country in the 50s and the 60s and in South Africa in the 80s. It would be similar to that kind of a thing. 
why such hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans? Well, it dates back to the 10th century B.C. In the 10th century B.C., the nation of the people of Israel were, began a civil war, basically. And this really began when, in the handoff of power between King Saul and King David. Remember, God had led the Jews through judges through the first part of their history together. But at some point, they started looking around and said, hey, every other country has a king. Can't we have a king? And God said, okay, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. Gave him Saul. That was great, right? And they had some trouble with King Saul. Well, then David was anointed as the coming king while Saul was still in power. That created a mess. And David, Saul was threatened by David's power and his popularity. And so tension, tension, tension came so that when King Saul died, then David did not immediately take, take authority, but there was tension between the north and the south already. And then Solomon then followed as king with more tension. Well, after Solomon died then, um, uh, uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam and, and another guy named Jeroboam, they became actually the whole, the whole thing split. Over on the left, you'll see Israel to the north and Judah to the south, correct? And so the whole people of Israel split into two kingdoms. You follow so far? Now, Jerusalem is down in Judea, and that became, or Judah, and that became the, the capital of Judah. But Samaria, the city of Samaria, if I had a little pointer, which I'll bring for the 11 o'clock service, uh, if I had a little pointer, I could show you that Samaria is up in the north. And so that became its capital. So now, not only is there civil war, but you have the whole, the whole nation is divided into north and south during this time. And this hostility continued. It continued. Um, and then, as, as many of you know, uh, this division continued for about 200 years. Both, both considered themselves to be legitimate descendants of Abraham. Now are you feeling that? Jacob's wealth thing? Okay. This division continued. And uh, in the 8th century B.C., the enemies from the east the Assyrians slash Babylonians, they came rushing in, pretty much conquered the world. And you know that Jerusalem was destroyed at that time, right? And that the, the Jews living in Jerusalem, what happened to them? They were, they were carted off. They were deported to Babylon, where they served as Babylonian slaves for 70 years, right? Now, what happened to the north? Well, when the Assyrians came in, they made Samaria the capital of the region. So now it's, it's an Assyrian empire, and instead of destroying Samaria, they actually said, we're just going to make the whole, this our whole region capital, and we're going to destroy Jerusalem, we're going to break down the walls, and we're going to destroy the temple. Following me so far, there will be a quiz, so pay close attention. So at some point we have Jerusalem is destroyed in the south, and Samaria is preserved in the north. And the, Jew, the Jerusalem Jews are living in Babylon. Well, in fairly short order, because the Jerusalem Jews, what are they doing? They're crying out to God for deliverance, right? And they're saying, could you set us free again, right? And they're singing their songs by the rivers of Babylon. Hello, does that sound familiar? But they're trying to worship God, their God, in this polytheistic culture in Babylon. They're crying out to the one true living God. Well, then in fairly short order... Persian King Cyrus actually comes and conquers Babylon. So we got a new king in town, right? And what happens? People start crying out 
to God. God gives Ezra and Nehemiah favor with this Persian king, right? Who says, yeah, you can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild the temple and you can rebuild the walls. This is fantastic for everybody except the Samaritans, right? You feeling it? Because they hate each other. And so they come back to Jerusalem and they start rebuilding the wall, they start rebuilding the temple. Well, then the Samaritans, they, uh, they, they start creating opposition. You can read right about it in Ezra chapter 4. This, this opposition that they created against the Jews as they were trying to rebuild Jerusalem. Okay, so we're going to now, now Cyrus is dead and Xerxes, King Xerxes takes over while this is all going on. Well, then the Samaritans, they write a letter to King Xerxes back in Babylon who says, you know, if you check the records, you'll see, this is all in Ezra 4, it's fascinating, 4 and 5, if you check the records, you'll see that these Jewish people have a history of being stubborn and obstinate and hard to rule and rebellious. And you should put a stop to the rebuilding of the wall. If they get that rebuilt, you're not going to be able to control them. Well, Xerxes says, great, sends force, stops everything. Okay? Raise up Haggai the prophet who says, you know, why should I live in paneled houses while the house of the Lord is in ruins? All these things starting to make sense to those of you who read your Bibles. Kind of clicking together a little bit. Okay, so this goes on for a while. And so they stop. Until Xerxes dies, and Darius is the king. Well, with a new king, then the Jews in Jerusalem write to him and say, if you check the records, you'll see that King Cyrus gave us not only permission to come back and rebuild, but also offered to finance the whole thing. And King Cyrus said, or King Darius said, well, that's true. <laughs> and so he then started it all back up. The temple's rebuilt, the wall's rebuilt, and now we have problems. We have Samaria strong, right? And we have Jerusalem strong. The Samaritans actually, on Mount Gerizim, built their own temple. They built their own temple on Mount Gerizim near, near, near Samaria. So that makes sense with this exchange with this Jewish woman, right? Is anybody interested in this? Because I'm having a blast, okay? <laughs> So when Jesus had this, con this conversation with this Samaritan woman, and she said, you say, you guys say that we should worship in Jerusalem, but our fathers say we should worship on Mount Gerizim. Okay, you're feeling the tension? Say yes, humor me, help me along. Say, give me, an, I know it's a, not an amening kind of thing, but just give me one every once in a while, okay? Yeah, thank you, okay, very good. So we have this big, they come back, big tension, Big hostilities go on, continue on. What happens in 200 B.C., outside of the biblical record, right, because it stops in 400 B.C. at Malachi, but in between we do have other documents that will tell us what happened. In 200 B.C., a Jewish king from Jerusalem commanded an army to attack the temple in Gerizim, and they destroyed it. That's how much they hated each other. You getting this? That's how much they hated each other. It wasn't just tension, it was violence. It was killing, assassinations, all of this. The destruction of their cherished temple. This continued. When Jesus, the year that Jesus was born, actually, the Samaritans, they came to Jerusalem and they defiled the Jerusalem temple by spreading human bones around. Now, that might not sound like much to you, but if you read Leviticus, you know that is a terrible desecration of a holy place. So this went on. This went on. This hatred. 
this kind of tension went on. So that was, that was the scenery that we see when, when this whole exchange between Jesus and this Samaritan woman happened. Now, I want to show you a verse in the Bible now that is absolutely wrong. It's the first one I ever found. I've been reading the Bible for almost half a century. And I know, right? And there are 31,173 verses in the Bible. And I don't know them all, but I've seen them all several times. And for the first time, I found one that's wrong. Would you like to know what it is? It's verse 4 of our text. Uh, um, yeah. Verse 4 of our text. What does it say? Now he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He did not have to go through Samaria. Most Jews would never go through Samaria because of the risk. That's why I believe he was alone at the well, because when the 12 disciples went to get food, they said, we're going together. We're going to stick together. Anything can happen in Sakar if they figure out who we are. If you look over on the right, you can see little dots, and there's maps. So you see Jerusalem. Wish, boy, I wish I had a pointer. 11 o'clock is going to be so good. You should come back. I'll have a pointer and everything. I'll put a little red dot up there and everything. But you can see that they come right up to here. Jerusalem's right there. So they're down here, right? That's where we find Jesus. He wants to go up there, Galilee, Nazareth. And you see the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So yeah, you're going to go through Samaria. But that's not what they did. They get to Jerusalem, and then they'd head up and skirt around. That's what they did. It would be like if most of you got called by God to go to Canada, you wouldn't go through Michigan. You'd go Wisconsin or Buffalo or... You know I'm right. Your fears and your prejudices are just too great. That's what they would have done. They would not, they would not, have, done, they would not have likely gone through Samaria. So it says Jesus had, had, that's a strong word. Now he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. He didn't have to. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus do that? You know the answer. He did that because there was a Samaritan woman in her whole village waiting to be received with his reckless love. He didn't care about racial divides. He didn't care about cultural divides. He didn't care about hostility, historical hostilities. He didn't care about the cost of his own safety, his own life. He had to go through Samaria. Because there was a woman there waiting for him. There was a village behind the woman. He had to go through Samaria. You know, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross, but he kind of did, didn't he? There's no other way. Why did Jesus die on the cross? To get to, get to you. To get to you, whatever your list of objections is about why God should not love you, because of this sin and that sin, and because of this past and that past, and because I'm of this group or that group, Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to go to Sakaar for you. Some of you right now are thinking about this, and you're thinking, 
about the Lord coming for you. About him cutting through all of your objections and all of your pain and your wounds and your sin. Maybe you got a, a, an additional part of your list that says, well, that's why. That's why I don't belong. That's why I don't belong in a community like this. Jesus had to die on the cross to get to us. Love compelled him. It's a reckless thing for him to do, dangerous and illogical. But he did it to get to us, to get to me. Thanks be to God he did it. And you might be sitting there right now and might be thinking through the quality of your relationship with God. And I want to tell you plainly, the Bible says, it is appointed unto every man once to die and after that the judgment. That's a reality of which we are all aware. There will come a day, sooner or later, that will be our last day. And the teaching of the scripture is that after that last day, there are exactly two options. One is heaven and the other is hell. And the Bible says that only a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross will make the difference. That your whole life will be summed up with this question, do you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life? Jesus went through Samaria for you. It's a reckless love. He's coming after you. And some of you are feeling his presence right now, and he's coming after you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to pray a prayer aloud, one line at a time. And it is a prayer that, as a believer, I think you'll really be happy to pray. You can agree with every line, and you can pray it aloud as well, and it can be a, a renewal of your own relationship with God. But it is also a prayer for anyone who's here today who says, today is the day I'd like to become a Christian. Today is the day that I understand that Jesus went through hell for me. He went through hell so that I don't have to. And you're at a point right now where you'd like to ask him into your life. Well, if you can agree with this prayer that I'm praying from your heart and pray it, then indeed that's what will happen. You will be born again. So let me pray this prayer one line at a time. And everyone in the room, if you can agree with it from your heart, I want you to repeat it aloud. Dear God, I want to know you. I want to be your child. I want to have all my sins forgiven. I want to turn away from my sins and live a new life. I want your son Jesus Christ to be my savior. I want your son Jesus Christ to be my Lord. Thank you, God, for saving me. 
through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please keep your head bowed for a moment. And with all the heads bowed, I just would like to ask, for those of you who are here today and you just prayed that prayer for the very first time and you've just come into relationship with the Lord by praying that prayer, just you, all the heads are bowed, just between you and me, could you raise your hand so I could see who you are? You just prayed that prayer for the very first time. Thank you, thank you. I see those, I see those hands. Thank you. You can put them down. Thank you. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. How about some of you, maybe just with the heads bowed and you just prayed that prayer and you really see this as a turning point and you're coming back to the Lord. You've been away and you're coming back. Could I see who you are, please, as your pastor? I see that hand, okay. And that one, and that one. Praise the Lord. Okay. Father, I pray for these now in the name of your son, Jesus, who have we've all just renewed the covenant of grace in our lives through communion and through the praying of this prayer from our hearts. God, I'm so grateful for these three who raised their hands this morning that they have crossed over from death to life. Hallelujah, Lord, that the angels in heaven are rejoicing now, Father God, for them. I thank you for these who have also lifted their hands and said they're coming back to you today. Praise you, Lord, and thank you for being the God who's always watching for our return. Lord, would you bless these today? Would you bless them with power? Would you bless them with strength? Would you bless them with your Holy Spirit today? So we rejoice in the salvation that we witnessed this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, we're going to sing and we're going to respond to the Lord in just a few minutes of worship. And in a moment, I'm going to add a musical start and you'll stand. And at that point, I'd like to ask prayer ministry people to come along the sides and just be here to pray for anything. If you're a person, you want prayer for something, you just want somebody to agree with you about any aspect of your life, you can come up to them and they'll pray with you. Now, here's a special invitation. I, myself, I'm going to go into that room over there. It's just a little room where we can hear better. If you raised your hand today, would you please just visit with me just three minutes in that room? I, I have some, I just want to pray with you. I want to hug you. Sorry. <laughs> and, no, I'm not sorry. I want to welcome you to the family or back to the family. I also want to give you a book. And it says, start here. And it's just how to get going in your walk with the Lord. So as we stand and... and uh, those of you who raise your hands, I would love it if you would just make your way over into that little room for probably about the same amount of time as it takes to sing the song. So let's stand together, church. Praise the Lord. Let's worship together. <laughs> 